Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Curse of the Danav, season four, episode 14, first aired February 7th, 1988. And the IMDb summary reads, when Seth's estranged brother is murdered, Jessica must figure out if a cursed ruby from India is responsible. Real descriptive. Okay. So, okay. So the trivia is not that amazing. Here we go. So Seth has a brother, Richard, nephew, Mark, and niece, Carolyn, and several cousins who live on a plantation down south of Dixie, south in Dixie, right? And... What they didn't put here, but what we find out in a later season is that Seth actually has a daughter and that's the first time we hear about her. So I want to say it might've been before the New York episodes, but yeah, Seth also has a daughter that we only hear about once because he's visiting her because she's having a baby. So I don't know if the actor had a movie or something or another show he was filming and that's why he wasn't there to tape that and that was the backstory they gave for why he wasn't there. But Seth does return after that and we don't hear anything (laughs) about this daughter and his grandchild. Okay, so there's that. Now, let's get into the returners. So we have two. First, we have Larry Linville, and we will recognize him as Professor Kent Radford from season one, episode 19, Murder Takes the Bus. He was Rue McClanahan's husband. Okay, her name wasn't Rue McClanahan. Um, That's her real name. (laughs) (laughs) I forget what her character's name was, but that's the most important part. In this episode, he plays Lieutenant Stephen Ames. Our other returner is Clive Ravel, and we will recognize him as Jonathan Howley from season one, episode 14, Murder to a Jazz Beat. Now, he was the host of New Orleans Today, the TV show that Jessica was coming to do an interview for, and she ended up coming like an entire week before And she was supposed to be dedicating a library in some other state. (laughs) But this is where we met Lafayette. Okay. (laughs) Oh, that was a good episode. Anyway, let's get into the cast and into this episode. So we have Seth, Richard, Alice, Mark, and Carolyn Hazlitt. We have Bert Davies, who is Alice's father. We have Vikram Singh, Lieutenant Stephen Ames, and that's it. Okay. (laughs) The rest are like party guests and everything. These are all the named characters. Now, two things before we get into the episode. One, now this is with regards to the fact that there is an actual... Indian, as in from India, the country, actor playing an actual Indian from India. Yes, yes. He is not only 
an Indian actor. He is famous in India and America. Okay, y'all had the budget to do this in 1988. You could have done this before in the episode of Indian Giver and actually hired someone who was Native American. But okay, we're not gonna go over that again. But thankfully, they found an Indian actor to play an Indian character. Yes, let's take a moment to applaud that. Because it should be the standard, not the exception. Two, let's go, what I didn't do last week, not last week, for the last episode, was go into the actor's ages. Because again, we have a May-December relationship, okay? So in this episode, Seth and Richard are brothers. And based on their conversation during their spoiler reconciliation, it sounds like they're much closer in age as characters than they are in reality, okay? And I think in part because the actor, whose real name is also Richard, so there's that, is prematurely white, haired. So even though in the face he doesn't look older, because of the white hair, I guess that's how he can pass for a much older person. So in this episode, which aired in 1988, William Wisdom, who plays Seth Hazlitt, was approximately 65 years old. Richard Bradford, who plays the brother Richard, he was 54, right? 54. Alice, Richard's wife, the actress was approximately 27. Mark, Richard's son, was the actor was 39. And Carolyn, Richard's daughter, was approximately 35, right? And Alice's father, the actor was 58. So what does that mean? That means that Richard's wife is younger than his two children and meaning that he's old enough to be Alice's father, right? We get that. Clearly, we get that. However, the way they make it look on the show is even worse because Richard looks like he's supposed to be in his 60s, a contemporary to Seth. And we know Seth is in his early 60s, at the very least, mid-60s on the show, right? So they make it seem like he's old enough to be her grandfather. Yeah, if you started early, your grandfather. But they make it seem like there is a good like 35-year age difference between Richard and Alice when in fact it it is 23 years. So it's like, eh, not great. But they make it seem much bigger gap, which is weird to me. Again, why would you want to make this relationship seem any creepier than it already does? That was a choice that they went with because the actor who plays Bert, the father, Alice's actual father, the character's father, clearly, is only four years older than the actor who's playing her husband. Like, come on now. (laughs) 
But looking at it, it looks like Alice's husband, Richard, is older than her biological father. So they're making this whole situation even creepier. That was a choice I would not have made, but we're here, so we'll deal with it. Now that that's cleared up, okay. (laughs) So let's get into the episode. All right. So we start out with what turns out to be a dream sequence, okay? And we're going to discuss this after I describe this dream sequence. So there's that, okay. So there is a, uh, it's a, a kind of an Indiana Jones situation going on here. We have uh, a white explorer, I use that term loosely, okay, and an Indian man dressed in traditional white garb. I don't know the origin of that outfit, so I won't speculate. And the white explorer and the Indian man, who we later find out is Vikram, are have found a golden hooded cobra statue, right? Looks solid gold. And it has this gigantic ruby in the forehead part. I don't think snakes have foreheads, but this one does. And that's where the ruby is. Um, So the explorer attempts to deadlift, okay? (laughs) And just snatch the whole statue, which he is unable to do, um, maybe because it's solid gold and probably securely uh, fastened to what it's on. So it's probably hundreds of pounds. Anyway, so upon failing to do that, he then pulls out a knife and pops out the ruby from this statue. And then it gets all real dreamy and wavy. And Vikram sees this going on. He is just afraid. He's afraid. He then screams and falls to the ground. And it appears that he didn't pass out, but his fear has overtaken him and he is huddling on the floor. This explorer then proceeds to kick him twice, telling him to get up, at which time the explorer starts to stumble around and falls to the ground, dropping the ruby just directly out of his hand onto the ground. Vikram gets up, he sees this, the explorer appears to be dead. He was like grabbing at his throat, appear, you know, seems like he was strangled by some unseen source. Considering that the deity, well, it's not, is it a deity if it's an evil spirit? Um, Yeah, so the statue is of an evil spirit. That's a snake. So being suffocated makes sense. Like that, that seems appropriate in this situation. And Vikram sees this, sees Explorer is dead, having been suffocated by an unseen force, i.e. the evil snake spirit. And he begins to scream. And at this point, we see present day Vikram in bed screaming himself awake. So this has been a nightmare, right? And I'm going to bring this up at this point. We later hear that the ruby 
was stolen centuries ago. So it's impossible that Vikram was present when this happened because there's no like supernatural, otherworldly, other spiritual part to this other than the ruby was stolen off of a statue of an evil spirit. Other than that, I don't, I don't understand what the point of this dream was at all. Like, I, I don't. If you understand why they did this, please let me know. Because there's no theory that Vikram was present when the ruby was stolen. I don't know if this was triggered by him being alerted by his government that um, Richard Hazlitt had purchased it because he got notified and he was sent to, you know, however, whatever the cost was to make sure he purchased this ruby to return it to India to ideally reunite it with the statue and prevent any other deaths caused by the evil spirit. Simple enough, right? So I don't know if this dream was triggered by that, but I don't understand why that would be the dream he had. And if so, how, who would have taken the the ruby out of the cave, right? Because if there was an Indian guide not being Vikram, why would the Indian guide take the ruby out if the white guy died. You know what I mean? Like, I'm confused by this. They, they really shouldn't have started this way. I am confused. So let's move on, on because the rest of <laughs> the episode presumably makes sense. So we're now at Richard's house and Richard is presenting Alice with a necklace. Now this is a thick gold double chain that has a ruby attached. Now this is the ruby, the Denav ruby. So she is like, it must be their anniversary. I don't know if they said what year anniversary or what, but it's their anniversary and he's giving her this gift and he wants her to wear it at their anniversary party that evening. And Alice is a little hesitant because she's like, when people see this, they're going to assume that I married you for your money. Girl, where's the lie? Where is the lie? (laughs) What? Clearly, there is nothing that this 60 plus, because that's what we're supposed to believe, 60 plus year old, extremely wealthy man has for you as a 27-year-old woman other than money and luxury. That's it, girl. Y'all didn't meet on eHarmony and have like a real relationship. <laughs> like, oh, I got to know him, you know. We went on walks in the park. No, he flew you on your his private jet to places. Okay, that's how your lives were before this. Like, don't even... Let us think that you were just some hometown girl who got swept off her feet and fell in love with this guy who just happened to be super wealthy. Girl, you were looking for a rich man. I ain't mad at you for that. Do you, boo. 
do you boo, but don't know, don't think you are tricking anybody to believe that you legitimately started out loving this man and he just happened to be wealthy. Maybe you do love him, but that was after the wealth and the luxury. Let's not lie to each other. Let's, you're too classy to do that. Let's not, because you can't tell me Once we meet her father, who has a very different English accent than she does. Hers is very posh, right? And his is very cockney, okay? So (laughs) for the American viewers, it seems like she is well-read, well-traveled, comes from money. And her father seems like he came the hard way up, right? And... It is clear that she was raised in such a way that she would snag a wealthy husband. Let's not kid ourselves with that, okay? Clearly, that was the whole point because I'm sure they found money to send her to finishing school, made sure her accent was very posh, made sure that she was well put together so she could catch the eye of a wealthy man and bring the whole family up. Well, it's just her and her father, apparently, but bring them up, okay? Out of regular society. Okay, we're all on the same page here. Yeah, she she's trying to act like, but I love you. And this is a real relationship, a real emotional relationship. And it's not about the money. This is a lot for me. Girl, please. You've been preparing for this your whole life. Now, that wasn't always your fault, okay? That's what your parents wanted for you, and they were successful. She out here saying, I married you for you. Yeah, his money, because that's who he is. For him, it's status and money. That's what you married him for. Got it, okay? We're on the same page. So (laughs) she's like, oh, You know, all the parties and the luxuries and, you know, the private planes and, you know, just going all over Europe or whatever for our honeymoon. It's very overwhelming. Girl, no one feels sorry for you. Oh my gosh, I'm just like super rich now. And I have a husband who just throws money at me and lets leaves me alone. I have my own bedroom, you know, so I don't have to touch him at night if I don't want to. Girl, nobody cares. Okay, no one's sorry for you. Nobody. Anyway, so (laughs) Richard's like, get used to it. You're my wife. That's what comes with this. I thought you understood that. (laughs) Richard, she does understand that. She's just trying to make it seem like she had only good intentions, only honorable intentions in getting with you. A lie doesn't care who tells it. So Carolyn, the daughter, knocks on the door and comes in and, you know, she's asking for a thousand dollars. Richard is like, "Um, I'm tired of giving you money. You need to spend it more wisely. And, you know, you can't buy everything you want, right? And Carolyn then proceeds to look at Alice and this ginormous necklace with a huge ruby on it, right? And says, why? You can. Girl, because he worked to get this money, okay? 
he didn't just, he wasn't born into this. He worked. And his reward for himself is a trophy wife who happens to present very well and would look good on his arm and be able to speak with his colleagues and stuff like that and appears to be educated. So, you know, she's not like just good looking. She definitely has brains about her. And that was his reward. Girl, why aren't you married? Not for nothing. Not for nothing. Okay, let's take a step to the side here, right? Homegirl is in her 30s and her dad is wealthy, okay? They have a polo match and you single, single, you ain't even got a boyfriend. You don't even got a boy toy. You ain't even paying a man to be with you um, or a woman. Girl, listen, if that's your flavor, do you. But you seem real uh, bitter. I'm gonna need you to go out and find some love in your life, okay? Because you don't even have a gold digger, nothing. You must have a terrible personality that even money can't cover up because you don't have nobody, nobody, nobody. That's sad. I can see why you would be jealous of Alice because she came from nothing. She don't have money like that. Well, not nothing, like honestly, but she didn't come from money. And she snagged her at an extremely wealthy man, okay? Just like, not just rich, wealthy. And uh, you still begging your daddy for money. Girl, that looks terrible for you, Carolyn. You should be ashamed. Like, at least get yourself a gold digger. Somebody keep your bed warm. That, that's why you're bitter. You need to find love. Or at least a good time. Like, honestly. So, Carolyn, he writes her a check for $1,000. Different time, different time. So she runs off and as she's going down the stairs, Mark, her brother, is coming up the stairs and he's like, oh, you know, it must be tough being replaced as daddy's little princess. And Carolyn is like, what you talking about? You think like dad's old, but he's not dead. If they have a son, who do you think she's going to make sure has the, you know, takes over the company. And Mark is like, that will never happen. Carolyn's like, okay, how are you going to stop it? And walks off. But I'm like, um, I know that Richard is in his sixties, not the actor, but the character is in his sixties. By the time he dies, well, now maybe the son would be old enough, but he don't seem like the type that, no, I take that back. Alice does not seem to have that level of control over Richard. You know what I mean? Like there's a different power dynamic. She doesn't hold any of the cards in that relationship, to be honest. So I think Mark should shouldn't be uncomfortable with if they have a son that the son will be the heir apparent, they'll probably have to split. But Alice does not have the, not that she doesn't have the wherewithal mentally, but she doesn't seem like she's the type of person that in trying to secure her child's future, that she would make Richard deny his other children. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that she has that in her. Now, her daddy, mm, 
Maybe. Uh, maybe. So, <laughs> so the next scene, we are in a car in Washington, D.C. with Jessica and Seth. And Jessica's like, oh, you know, you really should go. And now we don't know what they're talking about. We kind of hop in in the middle of a conversation. And Seth is like, I'm not going, you know. And Jessica's like, it's so close. It's right there in Maryland. So Washington, D.C. is a hop, like Maryland, okay? And Virginia and uh, Delaware are all very easy to get to. Some people commute into D.C. from those three states. So when she says Maryland is so close, she means it. And Seth reveals that he hasn't spoken to his brother in 30 years, 30 years, right? And, you know, the only reason that they're there, they conferred with their congressman and, you know, they, he just wants to go home. It's like, we did what we came here to do. Let's go home. And Jessica's like, are you serious? Like, come on. Like, it's time to mend fences. And she's like, he extended an olive branch. It's like, he invited us to a polo match. He invited me to a polo match, like, honestly. And so Jessica says, he's the only family you have, which we find out later isn't necessarily true, but okay. He's the only family you have. This is your chance to set it right. And Seth takes a moment and he's like, you know what? I'll go, but only under one condition. You go with me. And Jessica's like, what? Now I got stuff to do. You know what? All right. For family, I will do it. You know, and we know how Jessica loves her family and she likes to keep them together and stay in contact and all of that, that for the greater good, she's willing to go with him for these few days to help Seth reconcile with his brother after 30 years I, I couldn't imagine that. I, I just could not imagine 30 years not having spoken to my siblings, like, especially growing up in the same house. And we find out later that they used to be very close, Seth and Richard. So it it's sad. So the next scene, we're at the polo match and Mark is playing for one team and Vikram, Vikram is on the opposing team. And Richard is on Mark's back as soon as the match is over because apparently Mark's team lost, but Mark fell off of his horse is what it sounds like, right? So um, Richard is like, Mark, what's the deal? You lost three matches in a row. He congratulates Vikram. And, you know, I'm like, this is why I'm like, even when you see Richard and Alice together, I don't feel that romantic love at all. And they're, I don't think they've been married that long. Okay. So yeah. And the way he treats his son and the way he talks to his daughter, I don't really see him as the lovey-dovey type that you could have just fallen head over heels for him as a person. Girl, a whole lie. Anyway, so Seth and Jessica arrive at this point and they've missed the entire match. And as they're standing there looking around, trying to, I guess, find Richard or whatever, Alice approaches them. And before she can introduce herself, she, she says, oh, you must be Seth, 
right? And Seth is like, oh, Caroline? Oh, it must be. It's, it's so nice to meet you, right? Because we'll find out why he has not met his niece and nephew, okay? Even though the actors are in their 30s, I'm guessing they're supposed to be in their 20s. At, in The characters are supposed to be in their 20s. The actors are in their 30s, but... You'll see what I mean why I think they're supposed to be in their 20s, all three, the wife and the brother and sister, or son and daughter, I should say, of Richard's. And Alice is like, oh, no, 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 I'm Alice, I'm Richard's wife. When I tell you, Seth looked surprised and disgusted. <laughs> Look at his face. The camera stays on it too. Cause like you see when he hears it and then his, he could not catch his face before the shock and disgust just appeared and held there for a good 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> he could not catch his face in time. Oh my God. <laughs> he was like, oh, what? You are, he thought that was his daughter. Okay. It was like his wife. So at this point, Alice introduces her father, Bert, and Bert was like, oh, this must be the missus to Jessica. And Seth and Jessica are like, no, we're just good friends because they were arm, like locked arm in arm. But, you know, they're both, he's a widow or she's a widow, you know, they're good friends. It's nothing like sexual between them. So they lock arms. It's cute. And so... They're like, oh, no. So at this point, Richard walks over and is very awkward. And Seth is like, oh, congratulations on your uh, nuptials, right? And Richard's like, how did you know I got remarried? Or married again, married again. And so he's like, uh, it was kind of clear from the invitation that I got. And Richard's like, what invitation? And at this point, Alice steps in and she's like, I sent it. Once I found out that you guys had not been talking in the state of your relationship, I just could not have that and thought that I would, you know, attempt to bring you guys together, right? And so Alice is like, you guys, you should come to the party tonight and you can stay at the house. There's plenty of room at the house, right, Richard? And he's like, yes, okay. <laughs> he begrudgingly agrees. And I'm like, I, they had their issues. So I can understand that this was unexpected. So he wasn't ready to deal with this, but you know, he's face to face with his brother. He couldn't put this off and he didn't want to seem rude or like a monster. And you know, he has like, like to think quickly on his feet, 30 seconds to, to answer. And he's like, okay, I'll figure this out later. <laughs> Clearly, they didn't have sufficient communications about why they hadn't spoken in 30 years. He didn't tell Alice this. Like, it was, this started before she was born. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. That is disgusting. Anyway, so the next scene, we're at the party. And we find out that Vikram is an attache for the Indian embassy, like actually the country of India, okay? And those who heard 
the episode of Indian Giver, you understand why that, although related, was related to Native Americans, this is actually appropriately related to Indians. So from India. Okay, great. So Vikram actually congratulates Mark about his three goals that he made during the polo match before he fell off his horse. He then offers, he was speaking with Jessica. So Jessica's standing over there as well. Mark and Carolyn have come over and this is when Vikram addresses him. And Seth is standing there as well. And Vikram offers everyone a cigarette, a Turkish cigarette. And he's like, it's, it's kind of strong. And Carolyn's like, hey, I've smoked everything else. So why not? I'm like, girl, okay, that's not, that's not helpful. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so Mark takes one and Mark is a smoker and he starts to cough like he ain't never smoked a cigarette before. Now, Carolyn take a smooth drag. I was like, oh, she has smoked everything. <laughs> She's like, this ain't nothing. <laughs> Mark is over there about to cough up a lung because it's too strong for him. And at this point, this is when Richard walks over and he's like, Mark, when are you going to have the strength to give those things up? Look at Allison. She stopped cold turkey the day we got married. And (laughs) Allison was like, honey, please. Okay. Mm, Okay. And so I'm like, why are you so hard on Mark? Like what, we don't know what, how he may have disappointed Richard. We don't know that. But I'm like, Carolyn is smoking too. And homegirl real smooth with a strong cigarette. Okay, so this ain't her first rodeo. But you get mad at your son. Okay, your son for smoking a cigarette and not being proficient. Well, actually, I can't even say what not being proficient playing polo because he got three goals. You know, I don't know what the final score was. That wasn't enough to win, but he got three goals on his own. That sounds impressive to me, you know? Anyway, so Vikram, he notices the necklace, right? With the uh, diamond, uh, the diamond, with the ruby on it. And he says, the eye of the Danav, It's a demon that steals the breath of the wearer who has a less than pure heart. And it was stolen centuries ago. So this goes back to my confusion. This is where it became confusing. When he said centuries ago, and I'm like, dude, weren't you there when it was stolen? That wasn't you? Why was you dreaming it was you? That's why I was confused, okay? Anyway, so... Richard was like, yeah, that sounds like a scare tactic. You know, you already offered two times what I paid for it to, for me to sell it to you. And Vikram was like, my government would prefer our discussions be in private. Okay. Because it's like, you don't want other people to hear this and then bid higher. And then the Indian government have to pay even more to get this Ruby back because you out here blabbing how much we were willing to pay. Right. And Richard says, you can go back and tell your government there will be no further discussions because I'm not selling it. So at this point, Alice is like, "Uh, "Okay, great. I'm going to go get your gift. Okay." so Alice then leaves. She goes to the garage where she has hidden Richard's gift. She goes in 
she opens the door and there's a car running. She then steps inside, attempts to open each of the four doors, is unable to do so. Now she's coughing the entire time. She goes back to the door. The door has closed and locked. And so she's trying to open the automatic garage door. Nothing's happening. She's banging on the door, yelling. At some point, she then falls to the ground, passing out from the carbon monoxide, from the vehicle in an enclosed area with the engine running. So we then go back into the house and we see Carolyn, Mark, and Vikram all separate, all walking around the party looking suspicious, right? So then the next thing we see Mark, who is intoxicated, or at least buzzed plus. He's, a, he's tipsy. He, he's tipping tipsy. And he goes with Bert to the garage because Bert is like, oh, I left my pipe in the car, right? So they get to the door to the garage and they're like, hmm, Mark, he's like, that's odd. This door is never locked. He's like, oh, you know what? I think I left my keys upstairs. At which point Bert is like, uh, what are these? He's like, oh, hey, great, great. And so he unlocks the door and they walk in and Bert notices that Alice is passed out. So they both run over to her and she is unconscious. We then go into the house and Jessica's like, oh, you know, Richard, this is a very great party, but where's our hostess? And so at this point, Mark comes running in holding Alice. She is passed all the way out, okay? And Bert is right behind him. And it's like, she was locked in the garage with the car running. Seth goes right into doctor mode and he's like, call the paramedics. And he starts to, to, to work on her, you know, help her to, to, you know, come back to consciousness. Right. And so Mark, Mark, Richard runs off to get the phone to call the paramedics. So Alice finally comes around as Richard is like, the paramedics are on their way. And Seth is like, oh, there's really not a need anymore. She, she's coming around. And Bert is like, no, you need to call the police because this was no accident. Someone tried to kill my daughter, right? So Richard is like, what are you talking about? It was clearly an accident. And <laughs> I was like, uh, that don't seem like an accident. But Bert is like, either you're going to call them or I will. So Richard calls the police. The next scene, the police are there as well as the paramedics. Alice is like, I don't need to go to the hospital. I'm feeling a lot better. Seth really, you know, helped me out. And so Jessica is like, can you please tell me what happened in that garage? And Alice is like, I wish I knew. And now we saw what happened in the garage. So it, it wasn't anything nefarious in that sense that she did anything and no one knocked her upside the head or anything. Someone literally locked her in there and she doesn't know who, she doesn't know why. She doesn't even know if the door just automatically latched, you know, for some reason, or if an actual person locked the door. So Jessica then goes out to the garage where Lieutenant Ames is there and we meet him. And Lieutenant Ames is like, uh, yeah, so this was, 
you know, not everybody can deal with Washington high society. So, you know, basically inferring that this was a suicide attempt. And Jessica is like, um, yeah, I've never heard of a suicide attempt where a person came outside, started a car, and then went back into the party to give the car time to fill the garage up with gas and then went back out during the party to kill themselves. And that's how it had to have happened because she was only gone for 15 minutes and there's no way that there would have been, that the garage would have filled up in that time. Lieutenant Ames is like, uh, um, who did you say you work in? And she's like, uh, a friend of a family member, you know, we're down uh, here from Washington, DC. We were meeting with Congressman Hale and the lieutenant is like, Everett Hale, the head of the House Committee on Secret Intelligence? And Jessica is like, yeah, but what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> and so at this point, Lieutenant Ames is like, well, I wouldn't, you know, discount the suicide attempt angle because, and he holds up a key and then the next scene we're inside and he's like, hey, for Alice, right? She's like, yeah, those are my car keys, but I don't know how the heck they got locked in the car in the ignition. And so she says, well, they're, I keep them on the back hook so anyone could have gotten access to them. So Richard was like, clearly this was an accident. And, you know, she got confused and couldn't, and accidentally locked herself in the garage, right? And Jessica's like, that doesn't answer the question about who turned the car on. And they just let this pass because Richard's like, it's an accident, okay? So the lieutenant's like, listen, this is above my pay grade. All right, y'all say it's an accident, fine. He then goes over to Jessica and he's like, uh, hey, you have my number. You can give me a call whether it's OTR or not. And Jessica's like, OTR? He's like, on the record. And then leaves <laughs> because if you haven't guessed it, Lieutenant Ames believes that Jessica is a federal agent, okay? A federal agent, which one of my favorite podcasts on Murder, She Wrote is Cabot Cove Confidential, where they have really been able to support this theory a lot. So... <laughs> This is the first time someone is like, uh, so you're a secret agent <laughs> and you can't, you cannot get him. You cannot dissuade Lieutenant Ames. He knows that Jessica is a federal agent. He just doesn't know who she works for yet. Okay. <laughs> so the next scene, Jessica is in Alice's room and is helping her, um, you know, get, get, uh, take her hair down and, and get comfortable. And so she can get in bed and rest. Right. Because how stressful of a day, like you almost died. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to lay down. Okay. <laughs> now that it's safe for me to actually go to sleep, I need to do so. And Jessica is like, well, who knew about where you hid Richard's present? And Alice says, because Bert is there as well. So her father's there as well. She says, well, Carolyn suggested the garage. And then Bert says, well, Mark knew about it as well. 
because he drove up while we were hiding it. And Alice was like, I would first think that it was the curse of the Danav before I would think that either of his children tried to kill me. Now, I know that we didn't get off on the good on the good foot, but I couldn't imagine that they would try to kill me. And you know what? They seem too lazy to do so. Okay, <laughs> Not for nothing. And the fact is that Richard would just get him another young wife. So what would be the point? Like, at least they started to get to know her and she's pleasant. So, you know, who knows what next one he could have got. So, you know, it's the devil, you know, right? So Richard comes in and was like, I got everybody to leave, you know, so that you can rest. And Alice takes off the necklace and she's like, can you please put this in the safe? It's not, it's not that I'm afraid of the curse. I just, I just think it would be more secure there. So Richard agrees. So he goes downstairs with Jessica and Vikram is coming out of a room. And he says, sorry to hear about your wife. Now, do you believe the curse? Which really it's not the time or the place, Vikram. No, because that sounds real suspicious. Okay, now you want to talk about, hey, you ready to sell it now? Your wife almost died. You look real suspicious saying that, okay? I don't care if you gave condolences or your your apologies or, or whatever. Um, you like, uh, I'm sorry she almost died, but she didn't. So can we get back to talking about this? Because there's a curse for real. See, I told you. So Richard, of course, reacts negatively and he says, I'm not selling it. And if I find out you did that to my wife to change my mind, I'll kill you. And Richard meant that. And you know what? He should. He should mean that because if you, for a, like I understand the significance that it has for your entire country. I understand that. But you are not going to try to trick me by trying to kill my wife. What we're not going to do. He is lucky that Richard had enough control because he almost cursed that man out right there. But he saw Jessica in the back. So in earshot, she was literally like two feet behind Vikram. If she wasn't there, he would have cursed that man out and threw him out the door. And I'm sorry, he would have deserved it. Because what you're not going to do is be like, oh, I'm sorry about your wife. Can we do business? Because she almost died because you had that ruby. What? Oh, it sounds like that's what you did. Uh, the police ain't here. You about to disappear. Okay. <laughs> like Point blank, period. So... Richard then goes into his office. He opens the safe and he hears a sound. He turns around and Seth is sitting in that chair. I'm like, how long has he sitting in that chair in the dark? I was like, he lucky that Richard didn't have a gun because homeboy would have been dead. Okay. So Seth and Richard sit down and start to talk. And Richard is like, um, you know, what happened to us? We used to be so close. And Seth says, Molly, right? And Richard is like, we didn't know how to tell you that basically they loved each other. And so Seth was like, so you ran off and eloped. And he's like, yes, that clearly wasn't the, the good, the best way to go about it. But when we got back, you had already left for Portland, now, we don't know how old anybody is at this point. They didn't say when we were teenagers. They didn't say when we were young adults. They didn't say, 
right? But if they're in their 60s, that means they were in their 30s when this happened. Okay, so they have been close into their 30s. Now, this is just guessing, guessing. And Richard says, you know what? That's an excuse. I should have tried harder to find you and make things right. But my business started taking off and the kids started coming and then Molly got sick and she died so quickly. I just never found the words to apologize. And I'm like, that's accountability right there. He was like, I'm not even going to say any excuse. I was wrong. I did not do what I needed to do to repair this relationship. And Seth holds himself accountable. He doesn't say, yeah, Richard, you should have. He says, you don't need to apologize. I need to apologize. If I wasn't so bullheaded, I would have seen how you and Molly felt about each other. And I should have, you know, seen that, accepted it. And so that y'all wouldn't have to have run off to elope and, you know, basically start your lives without me. And then, you know, Seth eventually met Ruth and now Ruth has passed away as well. So it's just them. Well, of course the niece and nephew, but it's just them again. And at this point, they have both apologized. They have both taken accountability for their part in the the dissolution of their relationship and have decided to reconcile. And when I tell you that, that's just, that does my heart good, that they put away the 30 years. They didn't bring up anything else. They didn't bring up any drama. They didn't say, but you, but you, but you. They accepted their part. They apologized and they were able to forgive each other and themselves and move forward. I'm like, that's what, exactly. Perfect. Thank you. End it there. End it there. Okay. (laughs) Why he got to die? Y'all just got reconciled. So the next scene, Alice is coming downstairs and she's trying to find Richard. She goes to his office door. She's knocking on it. It's locked. And so Carolyn and Jessica come to the top of the stairs and Carolyn's like, you know, people trying to sleep. I'm like, girl, you yelling though. (laughs) She was knocking on the door calling for Richard and you out here yelling down the stairs. And she's like, I think there's something wrong with Richard. I think he might be in there hurt. The door is locked and he's not answering. So at this point, Carolyn and Jessica are like, oh my God. So they run downstairs. Mark comes out his room. He's like, y'all making all this noise. You know what time it is? I'm like, sir, clearly. And they're like, Dad won't open the door. And Carolyn says that Alice does, because <laughs> that would be weird. So it's like, Richard won't come out. And so Seth is like, I just left him a half an hour ago. He was fine. So he, Seth comes down the stair. He's banging on the door. He's like, Richard, Richard, it's Seth. Open the door, open the door. And so Mark comes down. He was like, I got it. And he shoulders the door open. And they find Richard still in his suit. So how Seth left him, except now he's dead. He has the gold chain, not wrapped completely around his neck, but around his shoulder, whatever. And the ruby is missing. So 
they, of course, call the police, right? And as the police are in there looking around, Seth is standing in a daze outside the office. And Jessica comes up and is like, are you okay? Like, this, this is a lot, right? Regardless of Seth being a doctor, like, and see, having seen numerous dead bodies, especially hanging out with Jessica, this is his brother, regardless, you know? But in a, you know, the next layer is they had just reconciled. And he's like, we finally patched things up just a little while ago. Years of grievances, petty grievances, he said, fell to the wayside. So that makes this even sadder. We were just so happy that they reconciled. But you know, you knew he was going to die because we read the summary. So there's that. But still, it's still sad. Like, really sad that Seth has, he already lost Ruth and now he just reconciled with his brother after 30 years and now he's gone as well. So Lieutenant Ames is interviewing Mark and Carolyn and he finds out that there's no way to get inside that office once it's all locked up. There's no way to get in. There's no windows. Uh, or the windows are locked from the inside, something to that effect. There's no hidden passages and it locks from the inside. So there's no, and there was no one in the room when they broke in, right? A la, uh, we're off to kill the wizard. Rem- if you don't remember that, watch it and then listen to the review. Okay. <laughs> so... Carolyn is like, well, I guess that it was the cursed Ruby, according to Vikram Singh, you know, could nobody get in that room. It was just Richard. Now he choked to death. And Jessica says, because um, they, he's like, oh yeah, Vikram Singh, he's his country's cultural attache in DC. So Lieutenant Ames is like to one of his officers, see if he was involved in the Muslim protest a couple weeks ago. And Jessica is like, yeah, I had an actual conversation with this man. He's Hindu. He's not Muslim. That is a different thing. Okay. (laughs) Just because he's Indian doesn't mean he's Muslim. Just because he's Indian doesn't mean he's Hindu. I happen to have had an actual conversation with this man and didn't make assumptions. And based on the fact that he went to the, I believe it's, Diwali, please excuse if I mispronounced it, uh, festival, which is a Hindu festival. So she's like, yeah, he's likely not involved. So yeah, let's keep it culturally appropriate. So Bert is like, "Um, can we wrap this up so my daughter can get some rest? If you've done a proper job in the first place, that meaning when they, someone attempted to kill his daughter, that in the first place, this wouldn't have happened, right? And Jessica is like, yes, you know what? Actually, let's rest and resume in the morning. So Lieutenant Ames, believing that she is a federal agent, takes a cue from her and says, okay. And then once everyone leaves, he's like, okay, come here, come here. Uh, Are you CIA, FBI, like what? NCL, was it? NCI, whatever the other one was. It's like, what what agency? And she's like, I am just a mystery writer from Cabot Cove, Maine. 
And Lieutenant Ames is like, Cabot Cove, nice touch. Has a ring of truth to it. (laughs) He is convinced, convinced that she is a federal agent, which honestly, isn't she though? (laughs) So the next day, Jessica and Seth overhear Mark demanding a copy of his father's will immediately. Like, I don't care if the attorney is in front of the Supreme Court. I want that will by the end of the day or we're no longer doing business with you and you will lose our big fat retainer, right? And he turns around, he's like, oh, hey, hey, you know, people don't do their jobs these days. And they're like, your father ain't even cold yet. He's like, uh, we got businesses to run. Sorry, my father was nothing but cold. Uh, he would want us to keep it pushing, okay? So yikes, I would never want to have treated my kids in such a way that when I go on to be with the Lord, that they're like, I need you to run me that will. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's terrible. I would, I would never, I would never want to leave that type of legacy where they are like, She will want us to focus on getting this money, okay? She ain't care nothing about nobody personally, okay? Ooh, but I I promise you they won't say that about me. Uh, Guaranteed. But like, how terrible? Like, how terrible? But we only saw a snippet of how Richard treated Mark. So are we surprised that he was like, he wasn't like, I'm glad he's dead, But I'm going to keep moving because he was terrible to me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We saw a part of it. So it was probably worse. And we're talking 30 years of this. Yeah. That's sad. So the next scene, we're in the office with Jessica and Lieutenant Ames. And they're trying to figure out how someone, how the killer got in. Right. And Jessica is looking at the door latch and she's like, feel this. So Lieutenant Ames feels it. He was like, it feels like tar. And Jessica says, it is tar. I know how the person was able to kill Richard and get out of the room and leave it completely locked. The person lit a cigarette, placed it in the latch, closed the door Once the cigarette burnt down, it allowed the latch to fall into place. The cigarette then fell on the ground, which we see. And um, that's how the latch got into place, looking like it was locked from the inside. And Lieutenant Ames says, you feds really know your stuff. (laughs) Convinced, convinced. So the next scene Uh, Jessica and Lieutenant Ames are speaking with Vikram and they're like, how did you know that Richard had the Ruby? And Vikram says, well, I was notified two weeks ago. Well, the embassy or actually the Indian government more specifically was notified two weeks ago by a British collector that Mr. Hazlitt bought the Ruby. And so my consulate ordered me to purchase it on behalf of the Indian people. And Lieutenant Ames was like, oh, this is very important for your country. So you'd be willing to kill for it. And Vikram is like, uh, 
No, I tried to save Mr. Hazlitt's life by buying the ruby off of him. And Jessica says, well, he was not killed by the curse, but someone who was all too human. So Vikram was like, yeah, it's been real. I have to go back to my consulate until y'all find this ruby. Thank you. Bye. And so he goes, he puts on his one glove. He goes to put on a second glove. The other hand, there's something in it. He stops, he pulls the glove off and starts to walk away. And Jessica follows him with Lieutenant Ames. And it's like, because Lieutenant Ames saw the same thing. And she's like, aren't you going to put on your other glove, Mr. Singh? And he was like, uh, hmm. And just like shrugs, because you can't see me shrug on audio. So he shrugs. (laughs) And Lieutenant Ames is like, yeah, let me see that glove. And so he takes the glove from Vikram and the ruby is in it. Now, I don't know if Seth was in this scene, but Seth knows about this. I don't know if Jessica told him or if Seth was in the scene. I can't clearly remember. So now they're at the police station. Vikram has been taken into custody and it's Seth. This is probably when he finds out. So it's Seth, Jessica and Lieutenant Ames in Lieutenant Ames office. And Lieutenant Ames <laughs> believes that Vikram tried to kill Alice for the ruby and then killed Richard, stole the ruby and rigged it to look like the curse. So like the attempted murder on Alice was to set the stage for people to believe that the curse was active. And so when Richard died, they would believe it was the curse. And Jessica says, well, no, because Vikram didn't know Alice would be in the garage. So how could he have tried to kill her that way? And Seth was like, but you did recover the ruby from Vikram. So like, what's the deal with that? How do you explain that? And Jessica says, Vikram is way too smart to have deliberately hid the ruby in his glove, then try to put it on in front of us. So Lieutenant Ames concludes that the real killer planted the ruby on Vikram. At this point, they all agree. And they're like, well, then who killed Richard? At which point an officer walks in and says, Carolyn Hazlitt. I was like, okay, (laughs) I didn't know she was a suspect like that. So they're like, what? And the officer says, you said to notify you when Carolyn Hazlitt got here. So he's like, oh, let her into the office. So she comes in and Lieutenant Ames reveals that she is $32,000 in debt and a debt collector notified them once it got into the paper that Richard had died and that, you know, his children, Carolyn and Mark were grieving, whatever it said. So she's like, that's chump change. And... She then points the finger at Alice and was like, you should see how much my, his wife is getting. It makes my inheritance look like milk money. Okay. She's going to get millions. Ask her about the life, the huge life insurance policy that she made him take out when they were on their honeymoon. Now, Carolyn, girl. Okay. If $32,000 is with a debt collector, you clearly don't have that money, but you're asking your father for a thousand dollars to go shopping. Like you need to be asking him to pay off that $32,000. But what happened 
we find out is the debt collector had previously called Richard and he was like, she got to pay her own debt. Girl, why you ain't get no job? What? How are you asking for money to buy new stuff and you can't even pay off your debt collector debt? Not, not regular debt. Okay, not regular, you know, monthly credit card bill type debt. Not a mortgage debt, you know, not that. But it went to the debt collector? Girl, what is going on in your life? That's shameful. Your father is wealthy, wealthy. You could get a no-show job anywhere, So you could collect a paycheck and just go to work and look pretty and have a reason to buy stuff so you can go and show it off. You're talking about, oh, I could, you know, I could leverage my jewelry and get $32,000, but you haven't because it went into collections. Girl, you know how embarrassing that is? You should be shamed. It went to the debt collector and your dad not only is wealthy, but is willing to give you money on a regular basis whenever you ask for it and you didn't think that you needed to pay that debt down with the money he gives you, that's why you still live at home and you ain't got no love because you're just dumb. You make terrible decisions. At least be broke because you done spent that money on a man who make you happy or a woman or a person who make you happy. Oh, you're just bitter and broke? Oof, girl. Mm. I can see why you mad at Alice. I'd be mad at Alice too if I was broke and bitter. <laughs> I'm laughing at her situation because she could have done better. She had a silver spoon in her mouth when she was born and had everything on a platter and still went into debt when her dad was alive and giving her money. That is terrible finances. Just... That ain't regular people problem. I would never laugh at a regular person dealing with that. But her, ha, ha, ha. That's what you get. Anyway, so the next scene, Alice and Jessica are in the house. Jessica walks in and Alice is closing something into a drawer. She turns around and she says, oh, hey, Alice, how are you doing? And um, she's Jessica's like, I just wanted to let you know that the lieutenant will be here at three. He told me to, to tell you. And she's like, oh, well, I heard he had arrested Mr. Singh. Jessica's like, ah, there's still some, there were some issues with that. He's still investigating. And Alice was like, oh, well, my father said that the ruby was found in his glove. So I really don't understand what further investigation they need to do to find someone else. And so Alice is then like, should I serve tea now? And Jessica's like, no, girl, sit down. Like your husband just died. He was murdered. Your husband was murdered. And less than 24, what? Like five hours before that, you were almost murdered. Girl, sit down. Okay, <laughs> don't, who you serving tea to? Sit down, sit down, make yourself tea. You know what? Maybe you need to stay busy. Go ahead, make yourself some tea. You are English. It helps. I understand. Go through the process and procedure. Make your own self tea, you know, uh, serve yourself tea and, and get your, settle your mind down. Okay. It's okay. Th- this was a lot. You don't, you don't have to be a hostess right now. D- take care of yourself. Take, take, 
take a breather. I'm concerned for you, girl. I'm concerned for you. And so as soon as Alice is like, okay, well, I'm going to go lay down. Yes, thank you. Okay, (laughs) you deserve it. This has been a lot. So as soon as she leaves, Jessica goes and she checks the drawer that Alice was closing when she walked in and she finds cigarettes. So the next scene, Jessica and Lieutenant Ames are in the office where Richard was murdered. And this, they find out due to the forensic testing that the cigarettes used in the door latch were Turkish. And Lieutenant Ames is like, oh, you don't seem surprised. You, you knew? And Jessica says, I would have been surprised if it wasn't Turkish. It's another finger pointed at Mr. Singh. So the next scene, Alice, Bert, Lieutenant Ames, Jessica, and Seth are all in a room together in the house. And at this point, Lieutenant Ames kind of suggests that Alice is the person of interest at this point. And Bert says, well, she was nearly killed herself. And Lieutenant Ames says yes to avoid suspicion. And basically explains that she faked the attempt. And Bert says, well, you saw how ill she was. He directs this to Jessica. And Jessica says, well, why did she refuse to go to the hospital unless she had plans that required her to be at the house? And Lieutenant Ames says, a young woman of modest means marries a wealthy older man. What we're all thinking and all know. Okay. But this is kind of early to murder him, though. Uh, He has to die of natural causes for it not to look suspicious. But anyway, (laughs) Lieutenant Ames then goes on to say that the cigarette Mrs. Fletcher found in the lock was the cincher. You claimed that you gave up smoking, but in fact, you were found to still have cigarettes. And Alice was like, no, Richard said that I stopped smoking. He is, I tried, but I was unsuccessful. Okay. So he thought what he wanted to think. Okay. I never said I gave up smoking. Okay. (laughs) So Bert then says, well, it was Turkish cigarettes. She only smokes English cigarettes. And Jessica turns, as does everyone, and says, how did you know that cigarettes were Turkish? Lieutenant Ames only received the lab report an hour ago. And Bert says, you just said it. (laughs) Everyone's like, no, he didn't. So Bert turns to Alice and like, and says, don't believe them. They're lying. And Jessica says, I wondered how fortuitous it was that you and Mark went to the garage when you did. And Bert says, well, I was looking for my pipe. And Jessica says, no. When I approached having, just having spoken with Vikram Singh, when we approached, you had your pipe, you placed it in your jacket pocket so that you could shake Mr. Singh's hand. And you put this whole thing together, this attempt on your daughter's life to raise the specter 
of the curse. So when we found Richard dead and the ruby missing, we'd naturally suspect Mr. Singh. And Alice says, well, you found the ruby in Mr. Singh's glove. And Lieutenant Ames says it was planted. Jessica asks, well, how did you know that the ruby was found in Mr. Singh's glove? Only five people knew. The lieutenant, myself, Mr. Singh, Seth, and the person who put it there. At this point, Alice turns to her father and says, it was you, dad? You nearly killed me. To which Bert says, no, 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 I had it planned down to the second. I had a key in my pocket. So if Mark couldn't find his, I, I could open the door. And he then says, I, I saw you, no, I saw Richard and how he looked at you. He was a cold, possessive man showing you off. What type of life would, you, would that be? But without him, you'd inherit. We would, ha we would have been so happy together. Going first class. Don't you see? I was thinking of you. And that's where the scene ends. There's a little bit more after that, but like, could you imagine that your father, who clearly raised you to be a trophy wife, you know, with it, like clearly they sent her to college, they sent her to finishing school, all of those things, or sent her to a really good school that incorporated all of those things so that she could be able to hold conversations with businessmen and um, high-powered people and snag herself a wealthy man so that they would be taken care of for the rest of their life as well, right? And now, once you've gotten this man that you have fallen in love with at, or with his money, whatever, okay? She seems nice, but honestly. And your father is like, I just wanted her to get married, get that life insurance policy, make sure we made it at least a year, and then he's dead. Now, if this cursed necklace hadn't come into uh, their possession, I don't think that he would have killed him at that time. But the stars aligned that this was their anniversary, they, he bought this cursed necklace. All right, this is how I can do it. And he was willing to sacrifice his daughter. Okay, because she passed out. She was unconscious for a minute. Okay, unconscious. And then you're the one who's like, I want the police involved. I want the police involved. This is, this is an attempted murder. I want the police involved. Like, really? And you're the one who did it? You almost killed your daughter for a bag? Really? Like, I understand he dumb wealthy, but like some millions of dollars and she could have died. You don't know she had a medical issue. She could have had an undiagnosed heart murmur or heart defect and died. You're talking about you had it calculated down to the second, but you didn't, what if she was on medication? What if she had too much to drink? She could have died. You didn't calculate for that. You are a terrible person. 
you owe for money, for money. Okay, she could have married a, a well-educated man who, you know, made a reasonable living. She seems like she is well-skilled and could have gotten a good job. And they could have made their way up in society together. And that should have been enough. But no, you did not let her in on this plan and you've destroyed her. Like she loved this man for whatever it's worth. She loved this man. And to know that the only other man that she truly loved and believed that she could trust unconditionally murdered her husband, murdered the other man that she loved. So for money, for money, sir, she don't want to be traveling first class with you. She want her husband, sir, husband. Y'all could have just been, she could have stayed married to him, lived her life of luxury, made sure you were taken care of. I'm sure he would have made sure you had a house. You could have got yourself a nice lady friend and been able to travel first class with your lady friend, not your daughter. Who did, who was just trying to live her life and start her own family? That's terrible. Her father was worse than Richard. Now I'm, I'm like, well, Richard didn't like beat her or anything like that. He just provided her with a, a luxurious life and she provided him with whatever she provided him with. Like, you know, she's a beautiful woman who's intelligent and well-spoken and, you know, there's that and young, you know, that always helps. Right. But yeah, I could see how Richard would want her to be his wife, but for her father to steal that from her. Now she'll have the money, but she ain't gonna have her father. How's she supposed to sleep at night? She trusted her father. He was by her side this entire time and he tried to kill her. Besides the fact that he murdered her husband, he tried to kill you. That, that's something you can't come back from. That is something you can't come back from. And honestly and truly, they better have to, they're going to have to call me from the jail and be like, he is two days away from dying before I will go and see him. Because you almost killed me for money. For my, you didn't do it for me. You didn't do it for me. I'm, I'm a grown person and I made my decision of who I want to be with and who I love. I'm not being hurt. He's not abusing me. We're living a life of luxury and I love him. He loves me. However, he shows that in a nonviolent way. Why would you murder him other than you wanted unfettered access to his money? The nerve, the actual nerve. There's no other explanation because you weren't doing me a favor because I loved him. Okay. And I was willing to deal with his children being snippy. He just going to keep giving them money and that's fine. I'm not going to stop that because that keeps them from actually trying to do something to me and just be salty. That's fine. Be salty on the corner, spending his money. I don't care because he's going to make sure I'm taken care of. But Wow. Yeah. So Burt Davies, um, you should go under the jail for attempting to kill your daughter and then actually murdering the man that she loved, you know, whether we understand it or not, she loved him and he's a human being. 
He has children. He's somebody, he's two people's father, right? Even though he was cold and stuff like that, he was still their father. He had a brother, you know? And like, we don't, it sounds like his wife died years and years ago. So it sounds like he was single because he only got, he said, found out that I got re, got married again. It doesn't sound like he was married in this interim. It sounds like Molly died while the two kids were young. Unexpectedly, it seems like she got sick and made it sound like probably cancer and it took her out. So maybe she was the emotional one and he never was raised like that. Maybe he didn't know. Maybe he, obviously he didn't get any therapy to help him to, you know, make it through the grieving process without being cold to his kids, but he was still their father. He still had family and all Bert could think about was having unfettered access to his millions and millions of dollars. That's disgusting. That is absolutely disgusting, you know? And the thing is, Richard really wasn't so bad of a guy. Now, he really should have gave the Indian government they were willing to pay for it. He should have sold that ruby. Now, I don't like that. That wasn't worth being killed for now. But sir, you need to give those people back their treasure. All right. We, we don't need no issues. Okay. Should have gave it back. That would have been the right thing to do. Point blank period. But that, wow. I, you know, I hadn't really thought about how, atrocious this whole situation was and that the fact that Richard was old enough to be Alice's father was not nearly as disturbing as the fact that her actual father tried to kill her as a means to an end killing Richard making people think it was the curse so that they could live free and clear with his millions and millions of dollars. And that she was just supposed to be okay that her husband was dead and just move on. Okay, I, I'm off this. But like, <laughs> what? Okay, I'm, I'm, that, that's that on that. Okay, I just can't even, I ain't got nothing left. So... <laughs> The final scene, they are leaving. So Seth and Jessica are leaving. And Lieutenant Ames is, you know, wishing them farewell. And Jessica is still trying to convince Lieutenant Ames that, um, you know, I am not a federal agent. And so as she has almost had, almost has him convinced, right? Seth is like, come on, Jessica, you have to meet with that agent before he leaves for Moscow. And <laughs> Lieutenant Ames is like, agent, Moscow? That's the best set of fake credentials I've ever seen. <laughs> She's like, oh, all the heart, all the work. I almost had him convinced of the truth that I am a regular person who has extraordinary abilities to investigate okay oh <laughs> uh, she's like I give up let me get in this taxi and go on about my business I will never see this man again 
anyway, so that's for real that on that. Next week, well, in two weeks, right? We will be talking about mourning among the wisterias. Yeah, we'll get there when we get there, okay? (laughs) Because in that episode, it is outrageously hot. And right now, it is outrageously hot. So, (laughs) and in two weeks, it's probably going to be outrageously hot. So, (laughs) we'll struggle through it together. (laughs) We'll be able to relate to some degree with the characters. Anyway, until then, you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook Meta at the Fletcher Files Pod Facebook page. And of course, in the description box is the link to my Patreon, the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. I have just uploaded on Wednesday night, the rant regarding cut color murder from the Hallmark Movies and Mysteries channel. It's a rant from beginning to end. Okay. I didn't even do a scene by scene. It was just, I'm not even going to get into it because I'm going to get my blood pressure up talking about that movie. Um, so if you're not on Patreon, get into it. And listen to that rant because before you spend that time of your life that you can never get back, see what you're getting into. See what you're getting into. (laughs) All right. So until two weeks from now, promise me that you will have an amazing two weeks. I promise I'll do the same. Until then, bye.